Welcome into fall. Welcome into another episode of Dig City, a Purdue volleyball podcast. I'm Daniel Gilman, joined by the head coach of the Boilermakers, Dave Shondell. Coach, the weather I'm sure is fantastic up there. How's everything going? It's been unbelievable, Daniel, and we're really thankful for it. Uh, today it's probably 75, 76 degrees, and uh, we had a great weekend. So a lot of good stuff going on here in, in West Lafayette. Practices. Talk to me and talk to the Purdue fans. Is it every day? Are things back to feeling like you're getting ready for a season coming up soon, or are you still limited? Well, this conversation is right after our staff meeting that we just had in, in this same office. And uh, we have not gone five days a week yet until this week. Uh, we've been trying to bring them along slowly um, and not try to do you know too much. We've been going four days a week. And uh, this week, we feel like it's time to go to that fifth day. We really have uh, two more full weeks of practice this week, the following week, and then a shortened uh, Thanksgiving week uh, practice, which uh, probably practice weeks, which will probably just be two practices that week. I'll look at it closely. And then we're off, uh, not even sure how long yet. I think every Big Ten school is still waiting to hear from their administration about when their athletes will be allowed to return for uh, practice before that January 22nd start date for the season. And uh, we'd like to get back as soon as possible because we feel like we've got a competitive outfit and, you know, we want to be at our very best when January 22nd gets here, but there's a lot of protocol out there right now. And uh, not only protocol for health standpoint, but also financially, uh, every athletic department in, in the country is in really, really tough shape right now. So when you bring back people early, and you're, you're not in school yet, then there's extra costs. There's per diem. There's the cost of putting some of your, your freshmen back up in the dorms where your older players are already in their apartment. So that's not an extended cost, but they will have, will have to pay per diem for them. So every penny is counting right now. So uh, we hope to get back before January 1 and have a good three weeks of a tune-up before we start our, our season on Friday, January 22nd. Well, before we get to, you know, the schedule and all the hard-hitting questions, before we talk about National Signing Day, which is a few days away, that's November 11th, depending on when you're listening to this, it could be in the future or in the past. First, let's talk about who has been stepping up for, for the team in practices. We'll get, to, uh, we'll get to some other fun things at the end and fits that with Shondell. But Coach, if you were to talk about a few players that have really been eye-openers to you in the few days a week that you have been practicing, who would they be? Well, some won't surprise our fans because uh, they know our, our clientele. Uh, Haley Bush has been solid as a rock. Uh, she's just such a go-getter, such a tough, tough, tough kid. And uh, her location has been good. Her defensive efforts have been better. Uh, her blocking is improving, which is an area that we've really um, identified for her that, you know, she needs to do better. She's a great athlete, you know, listed at 5'10", probably a little bit shorter than that. Uh, but jumps extremely well, uh, but needs to have functional hands when she blocks. And so uh, she's been a, a real highlight to me. I just feel really comfortable knowing that she's going to be guiding the ship uh, for us for the most part this fall. Caitlin Newton, uh, when we scrimmage, when the, when the TV lights come on, uh, her game goes right back to where it was at the last part of the season a year ago. She's a real physical presence, and she's providing more leadership than she ever has before we have uh, 
great defensive players uh, on our squad right now. Our ball control is going to be the, uh, I think, the highlight of our, our squad between senior Jenna Otek and uh, Marissa Horning and Emma Terwilliger and Maddie Skimmerhorn. Um, on down the list, you know, you, you know, you've got Ava Torrance and you've also got uh, Savannah, who is, is doing a great job, Savannah Chacon. So we got six ball control players that uh, are probably as good as any crew that we have ever had. And uh, after our last scrimmage on Friday, uh, I was just blown away with the amount of plays that we're making from the defensive standpoint. It's, it's something, you know, we've been waiting for from this group. And we've been down a little bit. Uh, really the last five or six years because we had some injuries that cost us a player for three years and we had a uh, somebody you know transfer out that cost us in some key defensive and ball control positions so now we feel like we're back to where we're playing Purdue style defense and, and serving and passing the way that we need to to be successful you know obviously Grace Grace was in in, in the quarantine for uh, about two and a half weeks and, and she just got back about three days ago and is doing, uh, doing well. Uh, she's going to be one of the best players in the Big Ten. But I think people that might have come out of the woodwork a little bit, uh, here's two players I think will, will make your day. One, Maddie Chen. Maddie Chen, to me, has been the most improved player in our gym. Um, she is hitting the ball with so much pop. Uh, she looks more athletic. She's quicker to the ball. Uh, she's engaged in every play. She's been been really fun to watch and see her development uh, through this uh, preseason training time. And then Maddie Cook, another one of the Maddies. Uh, Maddie Cook has always been such a physical specimen. And uh, sometimes, you know, she overthinks and, and lets some things get in her way of, of playing at the level she can play at. But she is really starting to come to terms with herself and believe in herself. And, uh, you know, both Chen and Cook can play left or right side. They can play on either pin, which gives them some flexibility, which will allow them, I think, a better chance to get on the floor. But those two have been really, really good. And, and I, I guess I'll throw the third Maddie in that class into it. Maddie Skimmerhorn is as good of a passer as we have on our team and as good of a defensive player as we have on our team. This is a sophomore that came in last year and played about two rotations for us, uh, for Grace Cleveland in the backcourt, played right back. And she has uh, elevated her game to where, and then she brings this calm to the floor and she's a, a great teammate. So uh, those are some players that I think have really jumped out at me uh, this year to answer that question. Um, I know it didn't take as short as you wanted it to, but that, that's an answer to your question. Coach, we have no no time frames here. It's not like the pre-match <laughs> interviews. So <laughs> last time we talked, we were able to highlight all of the new freshmen. If you were to, you know, anticipate one or two of them or maybe three or four of them getting some, you know, real playing time this season, would it be, you know, Lourdes, Savannah, Molly, or could we possibly see a little bit more of Taylor? Is there one person that you think could really get some some playing time as a freshman this year? I really think, fortunately, we're not gonna, going to have to rely on any of them um, early and often. Uh, we, one of them could sneak in and, and, and be in the lineup. Uh, it's very possible. Uh, Lourdes Myers, who is a great physical specimen, is a player that has not practiced much so far this fall. A lower leg injury has kind of prevented her from being on the floor as much as, as, as we would like and has slowed uh, I guess the ability for us to see what, how good she really is. Uh, and what she has been able to do, she looks really good. Uh, looks outstanding, but she's been very limited. Uh, Taylor Trammell 
is uh, fighting it out for one of those middle spots right now. Uh, she plays extremely high above the net. Uh, she's somebody that I think our fans will ooh and awe over when they watch her play. She's long, she's athletic. Um, when she competes and when she plays hard, she's really good and she's capable of playing uh, at our level in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, the other two are, are still learning a lot. Savannah came in last spring and her passing has improved dramatically. And I think that she's really proud of that because she's worked extremely hard. She's one of those people that come into the gym every day for extra work and has set a great example for that. And then Molly Brown, uh, we knew that, you know, she, the game was going to be really fast and she hadn't both high school or club hadn't seen a lot of that um, growing up. Not many people see the speed of the big 10 growing up until they get to the big 10. So that's no uh, slap on in her face, but uh, she's got a lot of development to do as, as we thought coming in. And uh, she is another person that's in the gym religiously every day. And which is nice to see, and she's making great progress, but, uh, all freshmen have a long way to go. But I would say Trammell most likely would be a player that uh, our fans would see early in the season. So let's get to some of the hard-hitting questions here because I know we've all been talking about January. We're still, you know, big Purdue fans are refreshing the Twitter page every day or so to see if a schedule will come out. Where are we in the time frame of a, a schedule being established? Obviously, you guys get it before we do, the fans. Is there something that, you know, Anything that you can squeak out for us, or are we still in the, in the early process? The, uh, the Big Ten administration keeps telling us we're very, very close. Uh, but right now, men's and women's basketball doesn't have a Big Ten schedule yet. And they start a month before we do. Um, so there's so many different things from a TV standpoint, from a logistical standpoint, uh, facility standpoint, that uh, they're, they're trying to work out. Uh, that we haven't gotten ours. They're not going to release ours until they get done with the basketball because then you got to look at, okay, from a facility standpoint, is basketball playing home on a uh, Saturday night and therefore can volleyball play home? So there's, and they're trying to get volleyball on TV as much as possible. As you know, it's been the third most popular sport in the Big Ten on the Big Ten Network. And then the Big Ten Network is trying really, really hard to make sure that uh, they get as much volleyball as possible. We might not have as much during this time of year because you're competing with basketball, which is, is really difficult, uh, you know, starting January 22nd, there'll be a couple of months there where, you know, basketball will rule uh, the net networks unless we get moved to some dates and some times that they can, they can do both on the same day. But we do not have a schedule released yet. We do know that the proposal that we sent to the Big Ten uh, was agreed on and very well liked, and they're using that as a model for other people. Why don't you do what volleyball did? Because this is a great plan and our plan is to play 22 Big Ten matches and uh, as I mentioned I think on the last show would be um, your your um, partner travel partner which is Indiana will play them at their place and then they'll come to our place but every other team you play the other 10 opponents you'll play either on the road both times or you'll play at home both times so we may go to Michigan and play Michigan on a Friday and a Saturday come back home and see Illinois on a Friday and a Saturday the next week. And I kind of, as I mentioned, I think I like that. I think it eliminates uh, a lot of the, the stress in recruiting or, or not recruiting, but preparing for two teams on the same weekend. So now you prepare for one and then you play them and then you, you know, you make some adjustments with your team, but you're not grinding away on, on the scouting and the preparation and, and wearing both coaches and players out now you got a little little less of that grind that you might have 
but still no, no concrete schedule yet, but I know that the folks at the Big Ten will get that out just as soon as they can. And we talked about it last episode. I love it as well. For those that have never been around a, a college program or, you know, especially a Big Ten program, the, the caliber of teams that you guys have to play, as we talk about the differences for this upcoming year, what do you think will be the biggest difference for your team to, you know, to approach the 2021 season compared to any other year? Well, I think one uh, big difference is you're jumping right into the frying pan. You're playing Big Ten competition on day one. Uh, the original schedule that came out for the fall had us playing Wisconsin and Minnesota the first weekend, just like they did last weekend, okay? So imagine not playing any non-conference competition and then starting your season with what will probably the number one ranked team in the country, Wisconsin, and maybe the third or fourth ranked team in the country in Minnesota. So you're not going to have all of those, those four weeks of maybe 10 or 11 matches where you're going to find out how your team can function. And do you have the right lineup together? Are there people that play much better in matches than they do in practice? Um, so that will be one big uh, change uh, as far as I'm concerned. Other change will be is do you have people get sick during, you know, do you have the, the, what's the COVID factor going to be? Because um, it's not just that one person that gets sick. It's anybody that might have been around them the previous 24 hours that might also have to go into quarantine. We're seeing that with football. You saw that with Clemson. Uh, losing, losing the contest in Notre Dame in, in, in football just this past weekend, where they have lost if they'd had their starting quarterback and some of the players that also might have been affiliated with that. So that's going to be a factor, which I think is one of the reasons that early on the NCAA said this season does not have to count towards eligibility for your players. And that's something I think our fans, if they haven't heard that before, need to recognize is that if the player and the, and the school decide to keep that said player for another year, Every player on, on your roster right now in fall sports can get an additional year, but it has to be approved by both the, the, the athletic department and the player to make that work. So it's not going to be a free-for-all because that would just totally throw recruiting into a real quagmire if that was to happen. So it has to be, we need to know, we're, like we're talking with our current juniors and our current sophomores already and thinking about our freshmen to see how many of those players might want to stay an additional year because if, if we agree that there's somebody we'd like to have or a couple of players we'd like to have stay for that fifth year, that impacts how many players we can recruit out of the class that would normally be arriving after they would graduate. Now, this first year, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't count. If, the, if, your, if your university has the funds to pay for one of your seniors, you can have more than 12 scholarships. But after this next, next fall, you will not be able to have more than 12 scholarship players on your roster. Is that clear? That make yep. that clear enough? clear to me and that's that's vital that's not something that i knew it's it's something that's very important for those who just get the information and thinking oh we're gonna get you know jenna otek and caitlin newton for another year no matter what and that does factor in for the next crop of purdue players that we can talk about now because with national signing day coming up on november 11th let's get to the you know the meat of this episode which is talking about the two new boilermakers they committed a couple years ago, but they're about to make an official coach. Raven Colvin from Indianapolis and Allie Hornung from New Albany. Let's take a little bit of time and talk about each of these. Allie from Providence and Raven from Heritage Christian, a pair of absolute ballers, right? Yeah, we, we hit, uh, hit the ball out of the park with these two. As many people know, when you're at Purdue, or no matter what university you're at, you have to control the state. And uh, we feel like we have two 
if not the two best players in the state, two of the top three uh, players in the state, obviously I think they're the two best and we went after them hard early and uh, we're fortunate that we got commitments from them uh, before uh, it, I lost any more hair trying to stress out about them. But uh, these are two exceptional players. They're ranked, I think first and third in the state by the only poll that really ranks them, only publication that ranks them. And then they're ranked 12th and 42nd nationally as individual players. And I think the, the one that's ranked 42nd is, is poorly evaluated if they think she's 42nd because that's, that's Raven Colvin. And let's talk about Raven just first. Um, Raven, obviously the daughter of Roosevelt Colvin, who was a defensive end here at Purdue and then later played for the Patriots and has a couple, couple of Super Bowl rings. And we're just so fortunate that um, such a phenomenal athlete uh, had that connection to Purdue because it always helps. It doesn't secure anything that, you know, your, your mom or dad were alumni or, or athletes at Purdue, but it certainly helps. And uh, I remember doing my research and talking to one of uh, Roosevelt's buddies that actually is on staff here at Purdue. And I said, you know, what do you think? What, what's it going to take for us to get Raven? And, and a day later, he came back and said, here's the deal. You're going to have to out-recruit everybody else because there's nothing given. And uh, so, you know, we, we certainly did a lot of work. And I watched Raven play a lot of volleyball from the sidelines for a couple of seasons, her freshman and sophomore season. And she just developed every day. She's a high flyer. She's kind of a mix uh, between a, um, a Faye Adelaja who was undersized in the middle. Faye was about, uh, really only about 5'11 and a half, but is the second leading hitting percentage in school history. And uh, Raven's probably six foot half inch. It would be great if she was 6'3", but if she was 6'3", uh, it would have been harder to get her here at, at Purdue because she would have been re even recruited heavily, more heavily than she is. But she's fast. Uh, she gets off the floor fast. Uh, she moves laterally really, really quick. But what I like the most about her is, is what a fantastic person she is. She is just a great human being that competes. You know, and sometimes you get a great human being and, you know, they don't compete. They're not, they're not as aggressive. They're not as confident as and those kind of things. But, boy, she, she gets on the floor and she turns into a monster and she wants to win. And her team came up one short in high school and going to the finals this year. They got upset, not upset, Bar Reed was a really good team who went on to win. I think they swept Wapahani in the, in the, in the championship, but um, uh, she was one short after winning the state, the state championship a year ago. But uh, she's just an electric athlete that people are gonna love to watch play. And she brings uh, that same competitive nature that Roosevelt had as a defensive end in the NFL. And uh, I like her, I like her a bunch. Mix, you said, I want to just get it correct, a mix between Faye and who? Oh, and Danielle Catino, okay? Oh, uh, okay. I think she has some of that mentality that Catino had, that she just is a fierce a fighter, a competitor, and, and when the game gets tougher, the tougher she gets. And so, yeah, uh, more, more built, a little bit like Faye with the size, but I think with the mentality that Danielle had for the Boilermakers. Well, I read – Hold on a second. I read a fantastic article in the Indie Star written by Matthew Van Tryon, and I just want to talk a little bit about Raven and her introduction to volleyball. For those that don't know, she was a standout track athlete. She, pitched, she ran for the Indiana Storm Track Club, and then out of nowhere in middle school, she tells her dad and her mom that she wants to play volleyball. They don't know much about volleyball, and they're wondering why she wants to stop track, why she wants to split her time. And all of a sudden, one day, she tells them, I'm not playing track anymore. I'm only playing volleyball. I can start to jump. I can start to do this. And, and according to her dad, Roosevelt, 
quote, it happened overnight. It went from, I can't jump at all in seventh and eighth grade to being explosive and getting off the floor to almost levitating sometimes to the point where Roosevelt asked, is the net going to get higher when she gets to college? Because if not, this is going to be something. And that was a fantastic read. Yeah. yeah, that was a good article. I remember that from uh, maybe a year ago, I think. And they had a nice thing on uh, Indianapolis TV uh, feature on her just this past week. But um, yeah, she's, she is somebody that is eighth grade. I looked at and I thought, well, I'm going to have to keep a close eye on her because of the connection that we have and that she looked athletic, but she, she didn't, didn't play real athletic in eighth grade. But as the, that season went on, she developed. And the first time I saw her as a freshman, it was unbelievable how much she had progressed physically and gotten stronger. And her jump was better. And her arm swing was, was better. And that was the point in time I said, you know, we're in 100%. And we had to do what we had to do to get her to come to Purdue. So Raven finishes with four sectional championships, three regional championships, a state championship in 2019, Senior year, she was all-city, all-conference, 1,000 kills, academic all-state as well, with a ton more her junior year. And so that's just a couple of things. I'm sure soon on PurdueSports.com, you'll be able to see all of her accolades, but wanted to go over a few of them there. Now we can talk about Marissa Horning's sister, a familiar last name here in the golden and black. And so talking about Allie, let's get a little bit from, uh, from you, Coach. Well, Allie, uh, we'll remind you a little bit of, of Marissa or Mo Horning, as our fans know her um, affectionately. Um, just a baller, which is exactly what um, you know Mo was, was just plays the game beyond her years, understands things about the game. And, of course, Mo has these incredible intangibles. And I don't know Allie well enough to know all the intangibles or, you know, how she leads and what, you know, what level of a teammate that she is. But Allie is probably 5'10", 5'10 and a half, certainly much longer than what Mo is, her sister, uh, has a cannon of an arm. I mean, she is, was probably the best offensive player in the state of Indiana. She would love the opportunity to play in the front row as an outside hitter, as a pin attacker. And, you know, you know we'll see how that works. We've used some players similar to her, whether it be Kelly Miller, Brittany Dildine. Uh, back in the early days. Um, she's not a whole lot shorter than Sam Epinesa, you know, who was about six foot half inch that played on the left side, did an admirable job for us. But Allie is one of those players that when you design an ideal teammate, uh, she would be the, uh, the description that you would come up with because she's a, a wonderful person. She competes. Uh, she encourages people all the time. Great student. Uh, just just a fantastic individual but again when she steps on the floor okay it's like she puts that superman cape on and, and she just changes some of her dynamics on, on who she is because you don't accomplish what she accomplished by the way she uh, is going to graduate this spring from providence high school providence high school okay won so many state championships during her time there they moved from 2a to 3a to 4a so here was a 2A school trying to play in the 4A state championship, and they actually lost in five to Yorktown uh, in the semi-state. They got to the final four, lost in five, had a chance to win in game four, uh, got away from them, and then Yorktown goes on to win the state championship and is a, is a really, really good squad. But Allie has been a, a force in the, in the Providence program for the last four years, started every match her entire career. And when you watch her play, the reason that everybody in the country from Stanford to Texas to Florida wanted her to come in and be a, a, a libero for them 
is because she can do it all. And she keeps getting better. You know, when, when you play all six rotations, sometimes people think your ball control skills get left behind. But that's, that's a fallacy. That's not true. That uh, she understands the game better because she's played all six rotations. She knows what the hitter is thinking. She knows what the blockers are doing. So when she gets back behind them in a defensive position, she's going to understand. She's covered about half the court for them from a passing standpoint for the past four years. She's covered almost half the court. So she knows that she's got to cover a lot of ground. And, and she also understands, you know, what's going to take to be successful at this level because she has a sister that's gone through the same, you know, um, procedure that she's going to go through here uh, starting in June. Yep, Ali had 27 kills. I was watching some highlights of that Yorktown match. A familiar family for volleyball, you could say the least. An oldest sister, Jackie, played at IUPUI and then Bellarmine. And then her mom, as, as a lot of people know, one of, the, uh, one of the cheeriest faces around elementary school teachers, she played at IU over in Bloomington. So a really, uh, I would say, a really high volleyball IQ kind of family there. And just going over a few of the accolades for Ali, as you mentioned, regional champions three times over, four-time sectional champs. She was named top 25 for Max Preps, including a Player of the Year nominee, Max Preps, excuse me, Prep Volleyball Defensive Dandies. And she was also the NTSPY Volleyball Player of the Year and Athlete of the Year as a junior. So as we've got these two players coming in, I did want to ask you one question, though, for those who may not be able to, you know, comprehend how the NLI works and all of this. These aren't the only two players coming for the next season, correct? It's, it's kind of like a, a, a staggered format here with the ones that are coming scholarship-wise and then more players that will be welcome to the Purdue family. Yeah, yeah Daniel, we have two other players that have committed to come to Purdue, uh, but um, until they get their admittance um, to the university and they're, they're going to be admitted. That's not a, it's not an issue with that. It's just that there is a, a time issue. And so they'll get their day in the sun later on on your show on the dig city broadcast, and we'll be able to pay more attention to them. But uh, an in-state player than a player from the state of New York will be coming in here and, and two other great players, but we'll talk about them at a later time. Yes, we will. This is the show for Raven and Allie here. And now we'll move into our final segment, a little fifth set with Shondell coach. Talk to me about the volleyball that you have been watching. It, it's been tough, I'll tell you, at least for, for me, it's been tough to watch all of these other teams that are playing the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC. Who are some of the teams that you think, obviously we'll start with Texas and Baylor, but aside from those two, who are some of the teams that you think have shown at least the, uh, the most amount of gumption so far here in the fall? Well, I think Texas, Baylor, and Florida, and Kentucky – uh, seem to be in a league all of themselves at this point um, when I've, from what I've watched. And fortunately, I've had a lot of time to watch because we haven't been doing a whole lot in the weekend. So uh, I think Texas and Florida just have tremendous physical strength and talent and size. Uh, when you look at Baylor, they're still led by um, Yasi Pressy, who is uh, uh, Presley. Presley, Presley. Presley. Yeah. Uh, we saw last year in our final match of the season at Baylor, and uh, she's such a treat to watch, but they're really good in the middle. They haven't had their starting center back until just recently, and that's what, what kind of hurt them a little bit. They had two knockdown dragout affairs with Texas this past weekend. Texas won both of those in five, uh, but they were really tough matches in Austin, Texas. Uh, but I, I think that what we have to recognize, it's like I looked at what's happened in Big Ten football, 
And you look at that and you wonder, what's going on? Well, COVID has to have a lot to do with some of the results that you're seeing in Big Ten football. And that's not to give anybody an excuse. It's not to take away anything from anything that these teams are doing that are winning those games. But when you look at, I'm just looking, you know, opening day, um, trying to think Michigan State gets hammered by Rutgers. Then Michigan State hammers Michigan, okay? And then uh, then Iowa, did Iowa beat Michigan State really bad? Then the, Yeah, the Iowa just took care of Michigan State. Yep. Yeah, it's, you look at that, you think there's no rhyme or reason to, to what's going on. And some of it has to have uh, an impact of what COVID is doing, keeping players out. Maybe not for that particular match, but maybe they not that game, but maybe players have been out for two and a half weeks or three weeks before, and they haven't gotten back to full strength and the connections aren't there. Well, you're going to see that same thing, as I mentioned, with volleyball. And I'm sure when you look across the, uh, the platform of uh, the, the five conferences or four conferences that are playing right now, um, you know, you're seeing some inconsistencies. And it's not tremendous volleyball right now uh, at this point. I mean, I, and, and if you look at Kentucky. I don't know how hard they've been hit by COVID, but they had two injuries that prevented two of their, their starters from playing this past weekend in matches against Auburn. Fortunately, Auburn uh, wasn't able to really uh, put up much competition against Kentucky. So, uh, but I think that there's, there's four teams right now. Notre Dame is like ranked fifth in, in the country. You may have that, that poll will come out tomorrow for this week, but I think Notre Dame, they're done playing for the, for the fall. Most of these teams are playing about eight to 10 uh, matches in the fall. And then they're going to regroup and play some more in the spring where we're playing 22 in the spring, and I don't know if that's going to benefit us or not. It's just hard to say. Until, until the season's over, we won't know. That's, that's a good point. In, in my opinion, I think it should benefit you playing a lot before the tournament as opposed to taking that time off. But, yeah, familiar faces right there at the top of the rankings, as you mentioned, with Notre Dame, Louisville, Kentucky, as well as uh, Baylor, who we saw in the, in the Sweet 16. I think the perfect example of that team that you're mentioning, like you're scratching your head, Pittsburgh, right? I mean, everyone was so high on Pittsburgh coming into this season. It was going to be their third straight dominant year. ACC has this weird little schedule thing, and Pittsburgh starts four and four. So that's another team that could be a, a dark horse coming into 2021 where you're like, all right, you throw away those early games. Important to know, though, that the, the ACC did something odd. They played, I think, in three quads, okay? They mm -hmm. had four, and you played everybody in your group. And it just so happened that their group happened to be Notre Dame, Louisville, Louisville and a much improved Syracuse, Syracuse team. Yep. And so because of that, I think that that made it tougher on them. And they opened up, as we talked about a couple of weeks or three weeks ago, they opened up with Syracuse at Syracuse and Syracuse was ready to play. And they put, I think, put two losses uh, yeah. on Pittsburgh right out of the gate and then Pitt split with Notre Dame. And I'm not sure what they did with Louisville. If, if, what was the result? They must have split with them also. They did, yeah. They, they, they split with Notre Dame, and then they swept Louisville. And you're thinking, okay, that's, that's solid to finish the year. And then they lose in four. Pittsburgh, a team that, you know, you can write it off to COVID. You can, I, I guess, wait and see what, well, what's going on there. I, I don't think the expectations for Pitt were quite as high this year as they were last Losing year. A they, graduated, players, yeah. they graduated some people. Uh, but I think that they'll be there at the end. Uh, Well-coached team uh, with some good talent. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. All right, and then let's end it with a, with a fun question here. Coach, walk me through your Halloween costume, who came up with it, and how it was executed to perfection. If you haven't seen the pictures, <laughs> Coach Shondell was Gru from Despicable Me, and I did not recognize him. 
Well, there wasn't a lot of makeup involved. So uh, there was a, a shaving of the head and, and just for personal information, my head looks like it's shaved all the time, but it really isn't. I just put the, I don't put any kind of a blade on the clipper. I just go with the straight clipper and it, it gives me a pretty uh, tight cut last about six or seven days normally, but I went with the blade and uh, shaved the head. That gave it a little bit of a different look. I did put a little bit of, uh, I think they call it eyebrow pencil or some kind of pencil on my eyebrows to try to simulate the big fella. And, uh, and then I watched a couple of the movies um, just to make sure if you're coaching the Big Ten, you understand the value of being prepared because if you're not prepared, you're not going to perform very well. Gotta and have so I wanted, to make, I wanted to make sure that I had that in his voice as well. And what people fortunately probably didn't get a chance to hear was me uh, imitating the voice, um, which I, I thought I had down pretty well. I just didn't get a chance to use it. Let's hear uh, it. Very often. No, I, it, I, have to go, I have to practice it a little bit, but I, I had it down pretty good. I'm not going to go there. Halloween's over. Uh, but, uh, and then the, they gave me the eye. You know, I saw enough to see what I had in my closet that would match up. And I borrowed a, a scarf from our strength coach. And uh, it, it seemed to work out pretty well. There were a lot of people that, that felt like uh, we hit it on the head with, with Gru. Apparently, I'm as despicable as anybody on our staff. And whose idea was it? Well, Amy uh, Angelos, who is our, uh, uh, it's not a director of operations. We're not quite Supervisor that status. Supervisor of ops or something. Supervisor of operations in volleyball. Um, she had the whole idea. And uh, that's, what, and that's what she's here for, is to bring things. They're going to make things enjoyable and fun for student athletes. And so we all played the game. And uh, you saw the video. And everybody was uh, dressed to, to the the top and it was a, it was a fun uh you know 35 40 minutes then we got into a scrimmage and play actually played pretty well the carryover was pretty good sometimes you have that kind of a what i'll call emotional uh, halloween deal and uh, your, your team goes to pieces when you try to start to practice them because they're still thinking about the halloween costumes and what might happen after that but uh, we had a good practice and so it was it was a good event coach thanks again for another fantastic episode thank you boiler up He's Dave Shondell. I'm Daniel Gilman. This is Dig City, a Purdue Volleyball Podcast.